Okay, so it looks like are you getting the recording s- signal or over there on your end? Uh, not on my end, but okay. I don't think that matters. Okay. <clears throat> all right. So, uh, great. And all right, let's give. It, all right, well, I'll do the little intro and then we'll go. Okay. Welcome everyone to a special, special, special episode of the Rob the Genius podcast. I have a friend of mine from Twitter this week as a special guest. His name is Tim Kale. Uh, he does the work of wrestling podcast and some other things. So as always, I'll do a little, little disclaimer. Uh, if, you, if you're one of my listeners who is not a wrestling fan and this isn't your bag, then I understand if you want to skip this one <laughs> this week. <laughs> But um, we are going to get to some things later on in that are not about pro wrestling. So maybe you you know you can you can you can muddle your way through the wrestling talk and get to that. You might enjoy that also. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, Tim, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, the the world is in a sad state of affairs um, now, right? And now at the moment, but um, personally, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I mean it is, it is, and that that stinks. Um, and as somebody who I'm 48 years old, so as somebody who has just seen this effort going on for decades, um, even at the lowest levels of mm-hmm. you know government and all, and um, it's it's pretty sad, and it's one of those things. I mean, my kind of initial takeaway from this is that. Those people don't stop. Yeah, that's so true. And <laughs> they, uh, we need to ad- adopt uh, some of that not stopping mentality. Yeah, because they don't. And uh, there's never a point where you can just say, okay, we got this. We won this victory. We got this law passed. We got this election won. We're mm-hmm. good. We, you can't do that because, um, you know, look, they've been working on this since Roe versus Wade was decided. Yes, um, exactly. And just like, look, since Brown versus Board of Education it was decided, those people have been working on a way to resegregate the schools. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Um, for de- And they've been doing it for decades, and they're not going to stop until they get it. And, you know, I, was, I used to be a union officer at work, and I told some guys once that, you know, this kind of this labor effort, it never ends. Um there's never a point where you can say, okay, you know, management's going to leave us alone now. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, and same thing here. I mean, these folks, they are hell bent on having, you know, our society ordered in a certain way. And, you know, the, you know, the minute they lose any part of that, they go to work trying to get it back. I really, I was just listening to you. Um, I forget the episode title, but you were talking about it was. I think it was May third, and and it was when they just leaked the document stating that they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. And you made such a good point uh, where you said if your goal is to end abortion, it shouldn't be to have it banned because that the abortion's still going to happen. People are just going to go to other states. Like what you should do is try to end uh, income in a, a disparities. <laughs> you should try to make a better society 
try to make better conditions for people so that they don't feel they need to get an abortion or they don't need to get one. Like if your goal is to end abortion, you should end things like poverty, racism and so on and so forth. Yeah. And um, and it's why I question what these people's motives really are. Or why don't exactly because. You know, you, you can I mean. And I've occasionally asked this question to some people I know who were, you know, um, you know, anti-abortion, and you know, you kind of end up in the same place where it's like, okay, well, you're never going to stop everyone who thinking about getting one from getting one, but you can make it as small as possible if that's mm-hmm. what you want, and by making it just making life better for people so they don't, you know, um, exactly. Um, and you'll see people sometimes they'll kind of be like, oh, well, that makes sense. But then they go right back and they vote for the same people. And, yeah, that's that's what it comes down to. Right, and um, and it, it's 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 eternally frustrating, and um, it really is. And it, it's to the point where it's like you, sometimes you just give up arguing because it's like, you know, um, like y'all don't get it, <laughs> and um. You know, I was talking with a friend of mine earlier today about, you know, like voting and who, you know, I vote for and everything. And I've said, look, I have never in my lifetime, you know, had a serious dilemma about who to vote for. (laughs) (laughs) Never. And that's not to say that, and again, that's not to lionize the Democratic Party or anything, right? They got more than their share of issues and inconsistencies and shortcomings and everything, but... Well, you, know, you said one one party is inadequate and the other is hostile. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and and you know, and you know, my parents, like there there was never even a conversation on election day. And I mean, now I mean now you know, us you know now us black people we vote eighty to ninety percent Democrat, in, you know, as it is, but. Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, it was. But again, there was never a conversation. There was never a debate. There was never a discussion, and it was completely understood why. <laughs> and, <laughs> it was and and it's not because they're so great, right? But it's just. Yes. It, look what's on the other side. I mean, yes, exactly. You know, and I just. Uh, so I mean, I'll admit it drives me up the wall sometimes when I see people, like seriously, you know, not knowing well, who am I going to vote for, like. Like, how is it that hard to decide? I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. um, you know uh, but yeah, well, look, I mean, we have to. We have to talk about wrestling. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, that's exactly. We have to get to that. But, and, and, you know, you, know you, you listen to me enough, you know, I talk about the other stuff all the time anyway. But, um, yeah, so let's, let's get, let's get to the fun part here. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, um, just how long have you been a wrestling fan? Um, well, wrestling entered my consciousness when I was probably like five years old, uh, through the movie Rocky three and Thunderlips. Ah. <laughs> um, and, uh, Rocky three is a hilarious and simultaneously great movie. Um, yes, <laughs> but, but, um, uh, and I also, that was also when it was the concept of it being a work was introduced to me because Hogan goes, that's the name of the game and kind of breaks kayfabe in the end there, which I always found fascinating, even as a child. Yeah. So I 
came into wrestling knowing it was worked and and that was never a problem for me i never had an issue with that whatsoever i never felt like oh it's fake and uh, stupid I, I always felt this is just fun um then i i really got into it in my, when i was a teenager uh when it was like mcfoley stonkel steve austin the rock when so many people of of this generation today who are now the podcasters and journalists and everything like we grew up watching these guys as teenagers and that's when i really got into it because and i really i just fell in love with the rock i just loved everything the rock did thought it was awesome then uh like many fans i lapsed after the rock left um and then in college my roommate really loved wrestling and he watched monday night raw every monday so it became our ritual to watch raw and this was from 2005 to 2009 so these are like prime john cena years uh, that we're watching and then i fell out of i lapsed again um until cm punk's pipe bomb promo in the shooter around the world in 2011 then i really got back into it and that's when i started writing about wrestling i started writing the raw review um then punk left <laughs> and then i lapsed again <laughs> uh, until about uh 2014 which is when i started really blogging on a consistent basis about raw uh and nxt in particular and had some you know think pieces uh, each week and i just fell in love with wrestling in a new way um through analysis and i haven't i haven't stopped since then and i don't think i'm gonna stop i i i feel no need to take a break from wrestling anymore because i feel like i know what i'm getting myself into and it's it's hard. It's kind of hard to let me down after I've been let down so many times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm in a good place right now with my pro wrestling fandom and with my podcast, the work of wrestling, and I just love it and I just enjoy it. Oh, that's cool. Cause well, I have a mine is actually has some similarities to yours because I also uh, Rocky Three also played a role in me becoming a fan. Nice. Uh, because I had some friends who were wrestling fans, and they would talk about it, but I wasn't really interested. But I saw the poster with Mr. T standing next to Hulk Hogan. And I was 11 years old, and as you might remember, Mr. T was like the biggest thing in the world from like oh, yeah. Yeah, 83 to like 86 or 87. Yeah. And so seeing him on the poster next to Hulk Hogan, you know, I was like, oh, okay, I need maybe I need to check this out. <laughs> and... Yeah, you know, I started watching and you know, my dad saw me watching and he told me that it was you know that it was fake. And from the very beginning. So I had no illusions of it, you know, as being real or anything, because he, he ended that really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um but I wasn't deterred. I kept watching and then you know, one night he saw me watching and he saw Bruno San Martino on commentary. And then he sat down with me, you know, every now and then and, and would watch it with me sometimes. And then he told me that when, you know, back when Bruno was world champion, he used to go see Bruno all the time. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, he took me to some house shows, you know, and then, you know, we, and all of that. And uh, I took some breaks, too. Um, I, because you know, I started off as a WWF fan and then I eventually got into like NWA and some other stuff. And then I eventually became like a NWA loyalist back in the old Jim Crockett days. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, 
so for me, um, the first break I took was when Ric Flair left and went to the WWF because it really felt like that was going to be it for WCW. It felt, mm-hmm. I mean, it felt like they were just going to wither and die. And I didn't want to see that. <laughs> so I just kind of started to check out, you know, um, from there. And then I came back in you know, when Hogan went there and he, you know, uh, you know, turned heel and, you know, NWO and all that started. That got me back in. And then I eventually started, you know, doing like a lot of people, you know, like flip between Raw and Nitro during, you know, the Monday Night Wars. Mm-hmm. And then finally, when WCW finally did die. I started kind of to drift out again because for me that was just sad. It was really sad to see. Um, and look, I thought the WWF stuff was good. I thought it was fine. You know, there were plenty of people there I was big fans of, but you know, WCW was where my heart was as a wrestling fan. And when they mm-hmm. went under, um, it just didn't. You know, watching it just didn't hit the same. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. So you know, and then. I stayed out for a while, and then what got me to come back was I saw that WrestleMania 28 was coming soon, and there's this guy named Dwayne Johnson who was coming back to Russell John Cena. <laughs> and that got me to pay attention again. And Nice. So I stuck around for a little while. I said, well, well that was really good, and let's so I'll hang around, see how, how it is uh, here now. And that November, three guys wearing SWAT team uniforms jumped the barricade at a mm-hmm. pay-per-view. And mm-hmm. that hooked me all the way in for good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I'm a big-time S.H.I.E.L.D. fan. Um, that really got, that got me to stick around. And what do you, I was just going to ask you, what do you think about what they're doing with Roman Reigns right now? Oh man, I absolutely love it, and it's great, me, right? <laughs> yes, and now see for me, you know, I'm, you know, I've been one of those diehard Roman Reigns fans who was basically fighting wars on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> years. And so for us, for the past two years, this has been like the ultimate victory lap. This was the ultimate. We told you so. We were right. <laughs> um, exactly. And also that you know, you know, people who wanted him who have been screaming for them to turn him heel all this time you know we've been warning them that okay if they it's not going to go like you think it is okay mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. he's not going to you know he's not going to be you know cowardly and losing to people and all and losing to the people that, that you want them to push like if they turn him heel it's not going to go that way <laughs> <laughs> okay like if, if they turn him heel he's going to kill everybody okay yeah and like you know we were warning people of that and and here we are. <laughs> and and the, the field is cleared, and there's really it's hard to conceive of someone who could unseat the tribal chief. I can't really think of anyone in particular who is worthy of that honor or who would even really benefit from it. Uh, and it's like going to be a it's a big deal that he has these titles and that he's had the universal title for so long. And uh, they kind of it's it's hard to book it. Yeah, now at least, yeah, at least for my mind. Well, because to me, it's like this is like the first time in a long time where they've had a Hogan type champion or Bruno type of champion. Mm. And what they did then was they just wrote it. And, you know, Bruno lost the belt because he needed to take a break. 
and yeah. Hogan lost the belt to go shoot a movie. Um, and that's what it was. <laughs> um, if those things hadn't happened, they both would have held the title a lot longer than they did. Um, and that's, you know, and I think a lot of people who maybe became fans within the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, they haven't experienced that. Mm, yeah. And um, that's so interesting. it's, it's kind of hard to swallow. It's kind of hard to fathom. And even like, I mean, Ric Flair lost the title more often, but there was always a story. The story was always around him losing it and getting it back. And if you look at like the whole kind of decade when he was in his prime years, like if you add it up, he was champion like nine out of the 10 years total or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just, um, and when he did lose, the story was always about him losing it and getting it back. It was never about the other guy. Mm. Um, and I just think that's kind of where we are now. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, even, I mean, and that's always kind of, well, before the attitude era, that was pretty much the business model. I mean, you got your guy and you put the belt on him and then it didn't take it off of him unless there was a reason to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I see no reason to take it off Roman at this time. Yeah. And um, now there are a few people that if it happened, I would say, OK, that's acceptable. There are, there are a few people who I would say are acceptable if it if they want to do it. Who do you uh, think? Uh, I think Bob. I love what they're doing with Bobby right now. Yeah. And man, I love the way when he won the handicap match and he went over and he grabbed the belt out of the guy's hand at ringside. And, yeah. And, and held it up in the air, <laughs> right? To make it, you know, to make it clear, like, okay, well, you know, what do y'all want to do with me? This is what we should be doing right here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and I, I hate, you know, I, to me, you know, he's acceptable. Um. The way Cody has come in, you know, if they, you know, they put the story behind it and everything, you know, if that were to happen to WrestleMania next year or something, I think that would be acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, those two in particular. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree with that. Uh, but even then, I mean, if it happens, it needs to. I think it needs to be kind of like the Ric Flair kind of thing, where the story is about him losing it and getting it back, not about him. Losing it to the other guy, and now it's the other guy's time. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't I think, like this, yeah, because right now I don't think there is a guy to have beat him and say, okay, it's this guy's time now. Uh, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just don't. I mean, because I mean, there are so many ways that he is, he's basically separated himself from the pack um, in terms of recognition and all of this stuff. Um, and you know he's getting they're, he's getting name dropped on you know things that have nothing to do with pro wrestling now. Like Charles Barkley mentions him on the NBA thing, right? Mm. Um, and then you know he he gets to he gets to go on the Tonight Show now, and yeah, he gets to go by himself, right? He doesn't <laughs> yeah. Like they have you know sometimes on those shows they have like some little skit or something on one, one of the little wacky comedy skits they'll have some of the people on there. You know, but he gets to go sit on the couch and talk to Jimmy Fallon now. And um, Triple H even said that they couldn't get anybody, they couldn't get anybody current invited on there for a long time. Mm. That, it, that it was just, they always wanted Cena or him or like The Undertaker or somebody. Like Roman is the first person, current person they've gotten, they've been able to get on there. Um, so those are like big ways in which he is separating himself from the pack. 
Yeah. And yeah, no, he's just doing an awesome job. Yeah. It's uh, the just the way he has weathered the initial storm uh, of his ascent and now you know, fallen into himself and just inhabits this character uh, with every single line, acknowledge me. Um, it, it's, it's just wonderful to see a wrestler really come into their own and become themselves and become their best self. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it, it is. It really is. And, you know, acknowledge me is just a simple, it is a simple catchphrase. And it's another thing that's kind of a throwback, really, because, you know, back in the day, you know, you, you, you know, I mean, because, you know, a lot of people talk about promos today not being what they were. I do agree with that, but I think there are reasons that, and there are reasons that go beyond just, you know, scripts and all of that stuff. Um, and, a lot of those old promos that we love so much, the guys were saying the same, you know, they just, they said the same stuff, right? And they, they had their phrases, they named the town, they called out the opponent, but they, you know, it was, there was a, they kept it pretty simple and, mm-hmm. and he's keeping it simple here. And, um, there's a lot of, you know, and scripts probably do have something to do with this, but there's a lot of these, what I would call attempts at, you know, Shakespearean monologuing mm. now mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know um and also I think uh, the uh, the um what are they called the judgment day is a good example of that where they just drone on and on and they they got they got a lot of big words simply for the sake of having big words in their promos yeah and then also and and yeah, I mean, I grew up on, hey, I'm going to kick your ass, right? And yeah, in Detroit, yeah. in Chicago, um, in Milwaukee, <laughs> and then back in Baltimore, <laughs> that's what we're going to do. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it, it, but also I think a lot of um, people don't have the same speaking influences they used to have either. Uh, um, because, I mean, growing up, you know, about, you know, more people went to church on Sunday and heard preachers speaking, uh, more people, mm. wa- people watch the news, right? And you heard politicians give speeches. You heard coaches give speeches. You, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of that now people don't listen to like they used to. And, you know, you used to hear all that stuff over and over and over and over. And, you know, it just had, you know, I mean, whether it was osmosis or whatever. I mean, it was just kind of an influence there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's not there now for a lot of people. Uh, people aren't growing up, you know, listening to those things like they used to. And um, so when it's time to get up there and talk, like I think a lot of these folks are really having to teach, learn from scratch how to talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And so that's, you know, I think in some cases that makes these scripts kind of a necessary evil because some of these folks really don't know how to talk. Um, but I mean, the trick is finding the kind of, you know, middle ground or the right space between the script and, you know, you being able to say something that comes naturally to you. That's an interesting point. 
is I'm not sure I've heard that because you usually just hear the scripts are awful. And I've even said this, just like get rid of the script entirely. Um, I think what would be good if you did, if you did like a hybrid thing, like what you're discussing, um, have teach them the, let them know that they can go off script at a certain point or that they just need to learn like any good actor how to make the words their own because what i watch when i watch monday night raw uh i'm not going to name a name because uh, that's unnecessary but um sometimes when you hear a wrestler cutting a promo and they're clearly remembering their lines there's a disconnect that forms between you and that emotional life of that character so if the wrestler was taught how to internalize those words and had the time that I don't think they have, I think the hybrid system would work better. But I bet they just don't have a lot of time with all the script rewrites. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then also, uh, yeah, I think so. And, um, and also, it's, there's no harm in just talking the way someone else used to talk years ago. There's yeah. no harm in there's no harm in that. Um, you know, I mean, look, Nature Boy Ric Flair was, you know, Dusty Rhodes went to Ric Flair and told him, like, you're gonna be doing the Buddy Rogers gimmick. <laughs> right? I mean, he just told him that, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean and look, Rick will tell you that himself, right? Because I mean, because Rick wanted to do something else, and Dusty was like, No, you're gonna do the Buddy Rogers thing, and you're gonna be the Nature Boy. And of course, now he took that and he took it to a whole level that Buddy Rogers never did. Right. Um, but still, it's, you know, OK, this is what you're going to do. Um, and, you know, this guy used to do it back then and you're going to do it now and you're going to do it better you know, or you're going to do it for this era. Um, That's where having a, a solid grasp of history helps because someone can just shorthand say you're going to do this and you're going to immediately know what they're talking about. Um, you know, I don't have that. I, my sense of pro wrestling history is not nearly as deep as I wish it was. Um, but I think that points to uh, something essential for a performer to have a sense of history of their art, to know the history of their art so that they can improve upon what's already been done, know where their influences are coming from, and just better understand and comprehend the the art of it all. Uh, absolutely, because um, like in a different uh, genre like um if you ever listen to jack white talk about just music history um he is a walking encyclopedia of like the history of the blues and r&b music and it is just fascinating to hear him talk about it because mm-hmm. he starts pulling out names people you've never heard of mm-hmm. and you know this guy did this and this and this and i'm gonna put this on and here listen to this for a few minutes you know, this is my favorite record from such and such a time. You know, listen to what they're doing here. And and he just goes into explaining all of this stuff and naming all of these people and all these influences and everything that went into what he's doing today. And it is just an entirely fascinating thing to, to, to hear him talk about. <laughs> and it better informs you when you're listening to listening to him. Yes, exactly. Um. And for me, I mean, I get more, I, you know, I respect musicians more the more I hear them talk about those things. Um, and, you know, I'm a big 
YouTube fan and hearing Bono and the Edge talk about how they were influenced by the they were influenced by the the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and then the punk movement and all of those things kind of went into informing their sound and then you know they came to America and they started hearing American R&B music and blues and all that and then you know they were taken by that so then they tried to start incorporating some of that into what they were doing and you know and just hearing people talk about putting that all together it just it really adds something to you know what you're when you listen to them mm-hmm. yeah it's enriching yeah and i don't know that we have that now with a lot of wrestlers um because like for me like the, the most gripping promo i heard last year was the Arn anderson on the i'm Arn anderson everything that entails and you know having grown up listening to Arn anderson cut promos um that just i mean that jumped out and grabbed me Mm-hmm. I mean, as absurd as it was, he was talking about you know pulling out a gun and shooting somebody in the head. Oh, that promo, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, as absurd as that whole thing was, right? Yes, no, but it was compelling. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like to me, that was you know, look for my money, that was maybe the best promo that I heard all year last year. <laughs> and um, but he used, I mean. But everything from like the tone of voice and you know, and again, that's how he used, that's how he always talked, right? And just like there, like he always talks as if there's this grave danger coming, and we have to put it down. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, I mean, I think there isn't. I think it at least seems like there's. I mean, or at least the historical kind of referencing that a lot of wrestlers do now is, you know wrestling moves it's not talking yes that's very that's 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 very true i wonder i wonder why it's curious to figure out why maybe they just the generation doesn't have access to minds that have that historical knowledge um it's a good question because somewhere along the line it seemed like now i don't know I'm still trying to learn when and how this exactly happened, but I'm, I'm always kind of just puzzled by people, wrestlers who grew up on the attitude era. Yeah. And now, but now all they want to do is a hundred different moves and they don't even want to cut a promo. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, and it just kind of puzzles me. It's like, wait a minute, you grew up watching, you know, Austin and the rock and Scott mostly Hall. promos. Yeah, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan. I mean, and then Ric Flair, the great wrestler, but he was also a great talker. You grew up on those people, but now you don't really want to talk at all. Um, and you know, you're you're fixated on how many moves you can do, and sometimes they don't even make sense in order and all of that. And that's the only thing that seems important to a lot of some of these folks. And I'm just kind of like. Okay, where where did we get lost here? <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting thing to think about. Um, it'd be good. It'd be a great thing to talk with a wrestler about. You could have two wrestlers. You could have a younger wrestler and an older wrestler, and figure out like what's go. Where's the disconnect? Yeah, and it's just um, yeah. I, I really do wonder. Yeah, I mean, because um, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. I do think that. I enjoy today's wrestling as much as 
in for what it is i enjoy it as much as i did when i was younger but it's a different thing now um and i think that there are particularly on the talking side it could there are things that could be you know just it could be better have you do you watch AEW at all or are you strictly wwe um i i watch a little bit here and there i'm mainly a wwe guy i do watch some impact and i was a big ring of honor guy until uh for a good while the past couple of years yes yeah um so i mean then so I've, I've like the you know cm punk is still gold on mike mjf is great on the mic I, and but then i hear like from what i hear about like jungle boy he doesn't even want to do promos Mm. Um, yeah he doesn't he doesn't really i haven't seen him do any really that have stuck with me anyway um so and i guess you know with i guess with me with AEW, i kind of the ring style is not really what i prefer um and i've come to prefer the kind of more toned down mm. style interesting um i guess because for me um I mean, I mean, there are, there, you know, there are pros and cons to it all. Um, I mean, I've come to prefer the more toned down style because, I mean, kind of, it gives things for me anyway. It gives things time to breathe a little more. Um, it makes things feel a little more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I've gotten to a point in life where now I, I worry about these people's safety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I know. That, that that crossover happens where you just start to uh, worry, like, oh my god, don't do that! Like you're gonna hurt yourself. Yeah, and um, like for example, like you know, I, you know, that when Mick Foley got thrown off the top of the cage, you know, when I when I saw that 24 years old, I was like, oh, this is awesome. That is like the greatest thing ever. Like that, yeah. like he's crazy, but but wow, or you know. Um, you know, when I see that now, I'm like, okay, you know what, Mick, we really didn't need you to do all that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we weren't at, we weren't, we didn't ask you to do that, Mick. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And that was coming off. People don't, I don't think people know this because the, the, the imagery is shown in isolation of him coming off that cell, but that happened immediately following a, awesome feud between him and Stone Cold Steve Austin where he transformed from Mick Foley into Dude Love and then from Dude Love back into Mankind and it was a great story that culminated in him being thrown off the top of that cell by Undertaker Um, so I remember when I watched that feud I watched it back and I paid attention every uh, match and every segment on Raw, um, I saw that moment anew. Like it was informed by what had immediately preceded it, and it was—it's like a tragic moment um, narratively. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, that's that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, and like um, at the I watched Slammiversary Sunday. You know, for uh, impact, and they one of the matches they had was a monsters ball match, mm-hmm. and it was it was basically it was a nine it was a late nineties ECW style match, and watching that now in two thousand twenty two, I'm just like, what are y'all doing? 
what are we doing here? (laughs) (laughs) And I just, you know, I just kind of zoned out until it was over, Um, you know. um, And there's some stuff that I cannot watch now. Like, I I absolutely cannot watch, you know, Mick Foley with his hands handcuffed behind his back getting blasted with a chair a dozen times by The Rock. No, yeah, no, that's too hard to watch. Yeah. And he, I mean, and he was like, because he wasn't, no, he he couldn't block any of them. He was just taking them. And, um, and look, at the time, again, you know, when I was in my 20s and when I was watching that with my buddies, we were like, like, damn, you know, I mean, you know, like, this is, man, this is, this is, that's real, you know, and all of that. And, you know, now you, you know, you think about it and you're like, man, um, yeah. <laughs> That that wasn't really necessary. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess I mean all that's kind of added up to me kind of preferring the more kind of toned down style now. Yeah, uh, that's fair. And and yeah, I, look, I I do my best to not be a uh, kind of a wrestling Twitter jerk about that stuff. Um, uh, you know, except for when people you know claim that you know you're not a real wrestling fan and you know and all that kind of stuff. And uh, which kind of brings me to my next thing. Uh, being a fan, uh, how, how do you how do you see being a fan or interacting with other fans today versus you know before? Hmm. Well, when whenever I would interact with a wrestling fan, let's say pre social media being what it is today, so like in college, you know, you would just find out organically that someone liked wrestling. And you'd either hear them talking about it or overhear it, or you'd say, like, oh, I'm watching Raw tonight. And then they're like, you watch wrestling? And then you just kind of bond over this shared experience. And so the – and I, I would I would meet a lot of wrestling fans, um, like Al, uh, who's on my show a lot. Um, and <clears> – <throat> Or in other ways, a T-shirt. If you saw someone had a wrestling T-shirt, that was like the equivalent of a tweet. Um, And it just happened organically. And when you talked, you mostly talked about, at least from my point of view, you mostly talked about positive things, things you liked. And if there were disagreements, the disagreements were... um, cordial, I guess is the word, or, or respectful. Um, it, it was, it, I mean, not that things couldn't get heated, they could, but there, you know, you're different when you talk to someone in real life versus when you talk online. Um, so I always had positive experiences with fellow wrestling fans I met. Then uh, social media becomes what it is, and... In the beginning, I had some negative experiences with fans that informed the way I operate on social media now. Some very negative experiences that <clears throat> made me pull back and kind of keep a, a comfortable distance between myself and my followers or my listeners. And that's for their sake as well as mine. Um, I exist on the periphery of the pro wrestling discourse. I do not wade into it. I don't search for it. Uh, so, and I curate my followers and my, the people I follow 
so that I, I, I end up not seeing a lot of what people talk about. Like, I know there's uh, ugly discourse on Twitter and social media, but I sort of, I just, I just don't go, I just don't go into it. Um, and I just have my little corner here um, in the, in the pro wrestling hemisphere with my show and my, my social media, which tends to be, tends to be positive. I sometimes move to write an, a negative tweet about a particular wrestler who I'm not like into and then I'm like, do I really need to be putting this energy out into the world? And then it's like, no. So, all right, not not going to. Uh, does that answer your question? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because um, and you know, a lot of similarities. Because I mean, yeah, I mean, before social media seems to have been really a turning point, and not in a good way. And what's well, it's tough. There, there's some people I really enjoy talking to about it. Yeah. And talking to them is just a, a joy, really. But then there now I now I've you know kind of curated my followers and whatnot also, and but um even then like there like there are people that you know I like to talk to who still quote some things and screenshot stuff and kind of bring and kind of trash into the <laughs> into the house so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> um. And there are some people, so I've had to mute some of those people, and it's like it's not personal. I don't have any problem with you, but I just don't care to see some of the stuff you're bringing to the table here sometimes. Um, and <clears throat> so for me, it's 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 been an experience. I like last fall, I took a I took like a hard break, um, because it was just getting to be too much, and. Yeah. And now, so I'm, and I ended up like deleting Twitter off of my phone. Um, mm. So now, if I if I could go on Twitter now, I got to open up my laptop and, and do all of that. Mm. Um, because, and and we'll get to this in a little bit, but it can it can be it, it just got to be too aggravating for me. And I guess, and then also for me, I can't, I don't understand the whole spoiler culture. Like, why do you want to? Yeah, know? I don't know why anyone would want to know. I have no idea why. Why do you want to know what's going to happen on the show before, you know, why? Yeah. I just, I don't yeah. get that. I don't want to know, you know, who is rumored to be getting a push soon, who is rumored to be turning heel soon or what. I don't want to know. I want, I want to see it when it happens and watch it when it happens so that I can be surprised well, or whatever. To your, uh, to your, your experience of taking a hard break resonated with me. Uh, because Twitter built, Twitter just became so aggravating to me. Um, I felt like I was, uh, I felt like I could read everyone's mind because there are patterns. There's event A happens and then there's X, Y, and Z reaction to event A. And you know exactly what these people are going to think, what these people are going to think, what these people are going to think. None of them are going to have an original thought to themselves. And then it's going to bubble up and just spill over into this, um, this is something you could barely call discourse. And I just got so frustrated that I deleted my Twitter. Now, I really do regret that because I deleted a Twitter that was followed by Steve Austin, Mick Foley, oh. Becky, <laughs> Becky Lynch, uh, Charlotte, Paul Heyman. Um, it was like followed by them. And I, like, I could message them whenever I wanted. Oh, nice. And I 
I deleted it. And now I look back and I'm like, why the hell did I delete that? And I had like a couple thousand followers. <laughs> and now I've got my, my, I'm rebuilding gradually with my 600 and some followers. But um, that's what Twitter did to me. It drove me kind of crazy, to be honest. Yeah, and um, which kind of segues into the next thing we're going to get to here. Because uh, you talk a lot about mental health. And I found that uh, Twitter is not a good place for that. <laughs> no, Twitter is not a good place for mental health. It's, it's not at all. Uh, you have to be very careful when you're on Twitter, what you take in, who you listen to. Because uh, Twitter can make you feel, it, may, it can make you feel FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. Um, but like, like, for example, you know, Roe v. Wade gets overturned and then you click on that trend and then you just retweet after tweet after tweet about how this is the end of the world. And while that is true and while we should be afraid for what they're going to do next and while we should be prepared to vote and we should vote in every election, um, inundating yourself with with this uh, information like that is not healthy for your mind. So it's good for you to stay informed and keep in the know, uh, but it's not good to wade in completely to the point where you're just overwhelmed by everything and rendered immobile. So you, and that's what social media can do to you. It can, on the one hand, it's great for social organization and social action. On the one hand, it's great for that. On the other hand, this, uh, I find it can be, um, it can, it, it can, even if you're a nerd to it, it still has a kind of negative effect on you. Yeah, and you might end, might end up just feeling the sense of like giving up. Does that make sense? Yeah, because look, this happened for me when the pandemic was started. Mm. That's exactly what happened with me because I I was there because first of all, you know, you know, um, we went to work, you know, remote, so. And then everything was closed. You couldn't, I mean, you couldn't go anywhere except, yeah. for, you know, inside the grocery store. And people were, you know, wearing darn near wearing hazmat suits to the grocery store, which was, you know, understandable at the time. But, you know, I'm just home all of these hours. And then I got, you know, I'm checking the news on Twitter and it is just nonstop 10,000 cases, 12,000 yeah. cases, 15,000 cases, 20,000 cases. And then, a hundred dead, two hundred dead, five hundred dead, and it's and just twenty four seven. That's all there was, and then because you know everything had shut down, there wasn't any new stuff to watch on television. Yeah, there wasn't anything else to do but to sit here and kind of look at you know either watch CNN or whatever or look at your Twitter feed, and then you just see these numbers going up and up and up and up, and then you know Trump comes out there and he says just the most ridiculous, crazy kind of stuff. Yep. And it's just like, oh man, we're all going to die. Yeah. <laughs> the and human mind is not uh, designed to metabolize information the way information is disseminated on social media. Absolutely not. And, um, you know, then of course now, and I mean, I you know, did some reading into all this stuff and everything. And so basically, Twitter in particular is. It's designed. It's designed to aggravate you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, it's programmed because when you get aggravated by something, you share it, you comment, you reply, 
yeah. you keep you keep reading and so in other words you you're still you stay engaged on the app when you're aggravated whereas i mean if something somebody says something nice you're like oh that's nice and then you know you you move on um but when you're aggravated you stay engaged with it and mm-hmm. so it is the end which is why and and youtube does this also this is why you know, you'll you'll watch a video on YouTube about something that you like, and then you'll be inundated with recommendations about people with things people saying that it sucks. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. and um, you know, like <clears throat> watch a video about like Star Wars, and then you'll get recommendations from from these different p- people who have these three hour videos about how everything in Star Wars is terrible. Yeah, and there's and they're supposedly Star Wars fans. Right. Yeah. Um, And but those are the recommendations you'll see, or you you watch a video about maybe how to treat COVID symptoms or something, and then you get you get swamped with these COVID conspiracy, you know, videos. And on you know Twitter, if you don't if you don't cultivate your recommendations and all that stuff, you'll get recommend you'll just get stuff thrown in your timeline that pisses you off, (laughs) and and it's done to keep you there and i think if i'm sensing what you're saying right um one point could be made that this is all having a negative effect on the professional wrestling fandom oh it absolutely i think it absolutely is um yeah because it's a non-stop just being it's a non-stop barrage of this thing stinks this Mm -hmm. person stinks um that show stinks (laughs) um and there are people, and there are people who just say that for engagement. They may not even believe it, um, mm. but but it gets them engagement. It gets, but I mean, you see it enough times, and then it, it brings your mood down. I mean, I've talked to people who have said that their mood about professional wrestling has been brought down by their experience on Twitter, mm-hmm. and with just the discourse about it all. I think uh, that happens when 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 you when you see. I'm not. I could be taken back in a moment's notice, probably, but I'm not in the headspace now of taking Twitter too seriously or taking social media too seriously. I think when you earnestly believe what's been tweeted to you and it's a negative thing, um, like, all right, I'll give an example. Like, I got a negative tweet from an account that I actually liked, but, (laughs) but the tweet was so obnoxious. And I was like, I could respond, but you know what? It's not going to be anything good. (laughs) So I just had to mute the person. (laughs) And and I was like, okay, that's done. And then I let it go and moved on. Um, I I think when back in the day when I had my old Twitter account, if I saw something, I would take it to heart and feel like I needed to defend my stance uh, or find out what was going on, and it just feeded a very negative side of me. Whereas now I'm I'm a little more emotionally detached. And I, I'm I'm trying to get there. Um, it's <laughs> it's um, hard. It is, and like or when particular like when you see people when you really like the show and you see people just trash it, or you have a favorite wrestler and you see people just talking bad about them all the time. Mm-hmm. And then even to the, and now, I mean, the way the Twitter discourse gets now, 
I mean, people comment on these wrestlers as if they know them personally. And yeah, that's irritating. And I mean, you have people making just full kind of character judgments of these people as human beings based on, you know, sometimes just from what they saw of them on television or from what they saw from maybe some something they said on Twitter or something. And, and these people are making these full kind of character evaluations of these people who they don't know. And, you know, and it's like, well, you know, this person's a bad person. This person's a great person. I'm like, you don't know any of these people. <laughs> um, we, we don't know any of these people. I mean, I hope that, you know, other than the people who have clearly shown themselves to have certain stances on certain things or whatever that I find yeah. testable, but outside of those people, like, we don't know these people. We don't know any of them, you know, um, and I hope that they're good people. You know, I mean, I hope that, you know, Roman Reigns, that the man behind Roman Reigns is a good guy. I mean, he seems like he is. He seems, yeah, right. I mean, you're right. I mean, but at the end of the day, we're hoping, right? Yes, we are. I mean, like, we're not there with him, right? No. (laughs) Um, And and I guess that's another thing, like the whole kind of stand culture. um, Mm. I, you know, no matter how much I like, something or someone i i cannot tweet about them 20 times a day no i can't um well also and i just thought of this i think one of the downsides to uh, stan culture or if you are someone who is a stan you're I kind of I feel like I should be careful the way I say this, but I, I don't think this is off base. You're limiting your art intake. Like you're so focused on this one person or this one wrestler that you're um, blocking out like all the art out there. I mean, in this conversation, we've we've talked about politics. We've talked about uh, different kinds of wrestling. Uh, we've talked about a lot of things, you know, and like, I feel like that's a healthy conversation. You know, you, you gotta have a mix of things in your life. And I think if I only watched wrestling, I wouldn't have a healthy entertainment diet. I need to watch films. I need to watch great television. I need to listen to good podcasts. I need to look at beautiful paintings uh, sculpture, you know, you, you need a nice diet because, and in part because that'll help you better appreciate the object of your affection. Hey, exactly. And I mean, cause I mean, I, I appreciate just the, the wackier parts of pro wrestling because, you know, you don't, cause I don't find them in the other things that I do. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I watched Law and Order, right? Um, and it's, Law and Order is a very serious television show, right? Um, yes, yes, it is. It's a great um, TV show. Oh yeah, and, and yeah, I watched. Uh, yeah, and but there, you know, so when I when I watch Law and Order, I'm going there for that. Um, and 
so when I watch pro wrestling and they have something like they have like a wedding segment in a wrestling ring. I mean, <laughs> right? I mean, something like that. I mean, yeah, you know, I've gotten to the point where I appreciate that pro wrestling is the only is one of the only places where you will where you will get that. And then later on in the same show, you have two people trying to trying to kill each other. Right? Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and it's um because I see some people who get like way too upset about things like wrestling weddings and pie fights and things like that. And I used to be that person. I used to get so, <laughs> so mad about things like that. And I would sound off in my raw review about how ridiculous and stupid this is and how it's not emulating sport simulation. And I got, I got to admit as I've gotten older, I've kind of aged out of that mentality and <laughs> I'm um, I'm just like yeah go ahead give me silly like cause silly can be good and if it's good it's good so uh, I'm here just for whatever good is and silly can be good. Oh, same here because like the whole thing with Kevin Owens and Ezekiel. I mean, oh, yeah. just, it's it is it's, it is completely absurd. It is, <laughs> but, but it works. Yeah, and it's I mean, and it helps that Kevin Owens that he he's. He's treating the whole thing like it's like it's a national emergency. Yes, that's <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, so true. Uh, uh, Rob, do you mind if I get a glass of water? Oh, go ahead, man. Go ahead. Yeah. All right, I'll be right back. Okay. And uh, while Tim is taking a break, I would just uh, give you guys a reminder. Uh, if you, you like me here at the Rob the Genius Podcast, you can also uh, hear me talk pro wrestling every week on the Mindless Wrestling Podcast as part of the uh, Chair Shot Radio Network. You can also read some of the things I've written about pro wrestling at my website, robsagenius.com. And you can listen to Tim at the Work of Wrestling Podcast. So please do do check all of those things out if you like if you listen to me and you like what I talk about I and mean, if you're liking what Tim is saying here uh, those are different places where you can find both he and I and of course there are several other things on the Chair Shot Radio Network where you can find uh, again you, you can Find me every week with uh, DJ and Jason. We do the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. And now I believe Tim is back now. I am back, yes. All right. So you were talking about, uh, you know, taking in a variety of things. So I watch Law & Order. Um, I I listen to all, I love music. I love listening to music. Um, and, it, you know, there's an entirely different thing. You get listening to music than you do watching television, of course. Um. Like what? What are some of the other stuff you're into? Oh, video games. Uh, I love video games. Um, music. I love the music that I have, but I, I, I'm for some reason I don't retain like titles of songs, titles of albums. So I'm terrible when it comes to having a conversation about music. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I. Uh, what else am I into? Um, 
I'm like drawing a blank here. Uh, mo- I mean, I'm big into movies. I really, <clears throat> I really love movies and film, and I'm working, and I really like collecting. I've discovered in my uh, now that I'm 36, and I, I'm sort of settling into myself uh, once again. Like, I feel like when you're a child or some of the early days of your teenage years, you're close to who you really are because you've got all these hopes and dreams and desires and you are more in touch with who you really are and the things that you like. And then as you age, the world kind of pushes you farther and farther away from yourself and you take on responsibilities and things like jobs and, and uh, adherence to a certain cultural norm. Whereas when you're a kid, you don't really think or care about any of that. I feel like you can circle back <clears throat> to your pure childlike self um, and still be a responsible adult. And that's what I'm trying to be right now because my room is full of uh, action figures and uh, sideshow collectible six scale figures. I, I love Star Wars. I absolutely love Star Wars, love Star Trek, uh, love Batman. Um, just looking around here, <laughs> love the, the X Files. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, so I like you know science fiction, uh, movies, and uh, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Oh yeah, yeah. Because me uh, and that whole thing about circling back is, I mean, that's really a big thing. Because like you, um, like when I, well, one of the things that got me to you know, out of pro wrestling when I did take some breaks was the whole I'm too old for this shit. I mean, yeah, along with the developments that were happening inside the business itself that I talked about. And now, I mean, at 48, you know, I've been watching wrestling for the last 10 years. I have no intention of stopping. Um, I've been collecting comic books for a while now. Um, you know, I do. I play some video games. I'm not like a big gamer. I have a few that I like to play. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I've gotten back in as far as music, I love listening to music, but I've become kind of I've become that person now where all the new newer kind of stuff is noise. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. so I have my stuff that I like to listen to and I, you know, and basically if you became an artist after like 2005, then I got nothing for you. <laughs> I can, okay. I can, I'm sorry. Uh, you might be very good at what you do, but I'm really just not trying to hear it <laughs> for the most part. And unless you sound like somebody like um, Gary Clark Jr. He's a guitar player mm. and he plays like kind of blues type of music. And he's, I think he came along in the last 10 years. But he sounds like an old school kind of bluesman, right? So I'll listen to him, right? Because he remind you know, because he plays the old stuff. So yeah. but you know, I'm not really into, you know, if you came out in the last ten years and you're playing some stuff that's totally different than than what I've grown to love. Then, as far as I'm concerned, I, you know, uh, I really don't want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't that that feel good, though, to like have made that decision? It kind of releases you from uh, the obligation of absorbing other information that's not necessarily of value to your life. Yes, because, like, 
the past month or so i've gotten back to listening a lot of the, a lot of the rap music that i was playing when i was in college like mm-hmm. um like um a lot of the early wu-tang clan stuff mm-hmm. um I, you know I, i've been like heavily going back into that and you know i hadn't listened to a lot of that stuff for years and for a while like i felt kind of downtrodden as a because like the more current rap music just doesn't do it for me and but then you know i started pulling up the stuff that i used to listen to and i'm like you know what this is good and this is kind of my happy place with music so i'm just gonna stay here (laughs) just gonna you know instead of trying to figure out this stuff that i'm you know and it's really a struggle for me to listen to you know what i mean i can pull up everything that i've liked about music and i can listen to that and i can just be happy with that and you know and and that's fine and if, if something new happens to catch my ear then that's that's fine also you know but um i don't worry about it anymore mm-hmm. that's and, good. and it's a good place to be it's, it's a good place to be with everything um you know like i said with reading comic books um there was a time where i would felt embarrassed to be 30 something years old and reading comic books now i don't you know I, I, that doesn't bother me at all that's good um you know i have no issue with that now uh and i mean you know, getting to the point where you where you don't feel embarrassed about that because I mean another thing you see on Twitter like well, when when they do something wacky on Raw or whatever, like how would you explain that to somebody who doesn't watch pro wrestling? And my answer is I wouldn't explain it. <laughs> you know, I I would tell them that yeah I watch this show. This is some of the stuff that they do. Mm-hmm. You know what? You don't have to like it if you don't. <laughs> okay, you don't. Have, I mean, you you don't have to like it. I'm going to keep watching it. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, and getting to that place is it, it's it's really good to get to that place, and it is. It it, it really is. We and now, had, oh sorry, go ahead. Oh, can I go ahead and finish what you're going to say? Because I was, I was just going to say you had uh, questions um, about my uh, or uh, my mental health about me talking about that. Oh yeah, that's what I wanted to get to. Yeah, because um. I know you talk about that a lot on on uh, your show, and uh, I'm just curious as to like uh, how did you get to the point where you felt comfortable talking about all of that? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I kind of came out of the hospital, the mental hospital, um, immediately okay talking about it because. What I discovered was that my idea of bipolar was totally different than what bipolar actually is. Like, I thought bipolar was someone banging their head against the asylum wall and, like, someone you couldn't even have a conversation with. I had no idea that bipolar can be, that mental illness can be subtle and um, just very different from what I had from the preconceived notion I had so I had so I basically had a thought like oh my god everyone has these preconceived notions about mental illness and what it's like to live with mental illness and so many of them are wrong so I was like I'm just going to talk frankly about what it's really like um and I felt comfortable doing it on my podcast because I feel I mean, my podcast is a pro wrestling podcast, so I have to bring it all back to pro wrestling at some point. But I, I feel like I can trust my audience. I feel like they can trust me. 
and the, the comfort level was just, it was arrived at almost instantaneously the moment I found out that I had bipolar. When I found out I had bipolar, I went, oh, and because it just sort of made sense out of everything in my life. Like all these things about my personality in the past uh, suddenly clicked into place. And I was like, oh, okay, and that, that all makes sense now. Um, and I just thought it might help someone who's going through something similar uh, or who maybe is – the big thing is if someone is, like, afraid or hesitant to go into therapy uh, or to take meds, I wanted to dispel some of the mythology of that to make it not as big of a deal. Like, it is good to seek help. It is good to go to therapy. And if you need meds, you take meds. If you don't need meds, you don't take meds. I need meds, I've discovered. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. Because um, I mean, I've been going to therapy for a good while myself. Good. And, and I'll say this, it's, that in itself is a journey. Um, finding one that you can talk, that you feel comfortable talking to and Finding yes. one that will tell you what you need to hear. I mean, because I've had therapists where they just kind of pat you on the back and tell you everything's going to be okay. Yeah. And and it's like, okay, well, I've been coming to you for a year and everything's not okay. <laughs> yep. And everything's not magically getting better on its own. Um. And not and look and you don't go to a therapist for them to fix everything, but you do go to better discover the pathway to making things better in your life or handling yeah, your true. life better or whatever. And some therapists, that's not what they're there for. Some are there to again they pat you on the back, tell you everything's gonna be okay, or they some therapists. They just let you tell them what you're thinking about doing, and they're just kind of like, okay, well, that's what you think you're supposed to do, and okay. Um, and that's not really that's that's not what I need in life. Um, if if you honestly think that what I'm talking about doing is just the wrong way to go, then I need you to tell me that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, if if you think I'm you know, sitting around feeling sorry for myself too much. I need you to tell me that. Um, you know, I, and so to find, finding a therapist who will, I guess will give you what you need is a journey unto itself. It is. Yeah. It's going to be hard to find the right one, but you, you gotta just keep looking. Yeah. And, um, it, it, it is. And it's, it's a, <clears throat> I mean, it's like any other relationship, basically. Um, you know, it really it's, is. It's a relationship. And because I like the like the one I'm going to now, I think I've finally found the right one. And because uh, this one, you know, if I say, "Well, I feel such and such a way about this, that, and that," and like, he'll just ask, "Okay, so why?" Mm-hmm. You know, well, why do you think that's a good idea? <laughs> or you know, uh, or okay, well, you want this to happen, but it isn't. So then what? Um, you know, ask me questions like that. Um, because again, it's 
it, it, it well look man life happens life is full of ups and downs and um and it's, you, you the last thing you want to do is try to handle this stuff by yourself mm-hmm. um and so it's just it's it's been it's it's been just really good for me going on that kind of journey and you know, get feeling comfortable talking about it because you know as men we're you know we're supposed to be tough guys and you know yeah. all the, and all of this stuff and um not talk about this stuff and it, it's you know and all of that and that doesn't really help you either no it does not that's some that's some toxic masculinity right there <laughs> yes it is it, um it is really um and we do ourselves no favors when we just kind of sit and wallow and try to, you know, figure things out ourselves or, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah, I brooded for about 20 years thinking that was going to do something. No, nothing happened. <laughs> when, I, when I started talking about my feelings in therapy, uh, that's when things started to happen. Yeah, and I mean, and look, it's like sometimes you just got to say, look, you know, I feel this way about this or this thing makes me feel this way and you know and then look sometimes your feelings are right sometimes they're not right or whatever but um you don't find out which you know you don't find that out if you don't talk about it yeah and um and how to act on it you know because um yeah because uh one thing my father used to always say was you know if if something had me down or whatever uh one thing he would always say he'd be like well you know it's okay to be sad it's okay to be angry about this it's okay to be upset about all of this stuff but after you've you know after you've gotten angry after you've cried or what have you okay well the sun's coming up tomorrow so what are you gonna do Mm -hmm. and you know i just i guess that's always kind of stuck with me because it's like it's basically saying, okay, you know, having the feelings isn't wrong, but ultimately, you know, okay, now that you've acknowledged that you're having these feelings about this thing that happened to you, what are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. You know, because the, you know, because the, you know, the, and he would just add to that, you know, the, you know, the sun's going to come up, the world's going to, keep spinning and the birds are going to be flying tomorrow you know um that's going to that's going to happen whether you know whether you sit there and feel sit around feeling sorry for yourself or you try to you know do something about whatever it is that's happened to you um that stuff's going to keep happening regardless Mm -hmm. yeah no that's good and so yeah i think you know um another thing i mean what i'm sure you noticed you you truly learn how screwed up the healthcare system is when you. Uh, <laughs> well, oh. actually, to to that point, um, after I got out of the mental hospital, they wanted me to um, join this um, group where it was like this group counseling, and uh, it took forever just to meet the, the psychiatrist, which is who I really needed to meet. He, after one conversation, took me off a med that my original psychiatrist said I desperately needed. So he took me off, uh, I believe it was like Prexa, 
which is an antipsychotic. Um, <clears throat> and then I had another uh, psychotic breakdown. <laughs> like, oh, that's that's, that's uh, lovely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, um, I shouldn't say a second psychotic breakdown. I had a psychotic episode. Um, so that happened, and yeah, it's like you, you have to be careful uh, and make good choices and make sure you're choosing the right people and just take the time. The thing that I feel really bad about is just uh, money. Like people just don't have, <clears throat> in some cases, health insurance or enough money to get the health care that they need. Yeah. And um, I guess like to me, that well, there are two ways to find out how, how messed up the healthcare system is. It's when it's when you need something and can't get it. But also when you see how easy it is to get some other things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you just see the kind of the dichotomy, you know, and um, <laughs> and it's just it's just weird. Um, and well, even like I mean, the, the the financial system is like that. Like when you, like when when you live in a certain zip code, um, things like shoot, I'll, look, there have been times where I just forgot to pay the damn electric bill, right? Mm-hmm. I just forgot because I'm I'm forgetful as all hell as hell. Mm-hmm. And where I live now, if you forget to pay the electric bill, they send you a nice polite reminder. Yeah. I mean, when I've lived in other neighborhoods, you get a turn off notice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and that's strictly you know about where you live, right? And the perception that is had of you, depending on where you live right now. Yeah. Um, uh, so just when you when you see it from both ends, that's when you can really see just how, um, you know, how screwed up our system can be. Um, another time I was, I went to the bank and I went inside because I think um I was doing one of those things refinance things. And they were supposed to they weren't supposed to cash a check until like a month later, and mm-hmm. they and they cashed it immediately, and so they just screwed up my whole bank account. Oh no! So I had to go get the you know the payment stopped and all of that. So I went you know I went inside the bank for that. But here's the here's the here's the crazy part though. So that wasn't the issue, but they looked and they saw that oh, you know we're about you're about to get hit with a bunch of overdraft fees, but we noticed that your paycheck is coming at midnight. So why don't so I'll just yeah so I'll just cancel all those overdraft fees since I know you're getting a paycheck at midnight. Oh wow! And so I'm sitting there with them like, okay, you're you're just doing this right now. This has happened to me before, and y'all just <laughs> and and you just let it go. You just hit me with the fees, right? Right. I mean, so and my paycheck comes at the same time every two weeks. So all those other times in the past, you took out the overdraft fees. But now that I'm sitting here with you, you're gonna just you're gonna you're just gonna delete them all. That's crazy. Yeah. Um and you know, that to me that just, you know, that again, that gives you uh that gives you some insight to how things can be and how they often are. And but it's uh and, well, navigating through this world is, is, you know, it can be, it's a crazy place, you know? I mean, 
Well, that's why we need things like pro wrestling because it, uh, I, I don't watch wrestling for pure escapism. Um, I, I do want to get involved in something I can think about. Like I want to have thoughts when I watch wrestling. When I watch like the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills with my wife, I'm I very much do not want to be thinking. I don't want to have thoughts. <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not watching it because it's challenging or anything like that. I want to just kind of turn my brain off. Um, but when I watch wrestling, I do want to engage with it thoughtfully. That is a part of the fun for me. And that simultaneously is a part of the escape for, for me um, is to watch it and escape into this world of colorful characters uh, is a nice reprieve from the reality of the world. Oh, same here. And now I guess, you know, and so what I'm continuing to try to do is to detach myself from the negative aspects of wrestling fandom. <laughs> So I could better do that. Uh, so look, man, I know I don't want to hold you forever. I know, look, it's you know we both have things to do and all of that. But I do yeah. want to, I do want to thank you for coming on. And I do uh, plug everything you have the plug. Fire away. Oh, all right. Um, well, Rob, thank you for having me on. This has been a great conversation, and I appreciate what you bring uh, to the pro wrestling uh, hemisphere with all your articles and your podcasts. I think you do great work. Um, I especially like that I saw you chronicled every women's wrestling match, I think. Oh, yeah, and that's because um, I'm, 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 well, I'm a mathematician. I'm a stat nerd. So Okay. We if need I, stat nerds. Yes. Um, if I if it can be compiled and you know and counted up, then I take an interest in it. So. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Um, for me, if people would like to support my work, you can subscribe to the Work of Wrestling on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, pretty much wherever you get your podcast, you should be able to get it. That's the Work of Wrestling. There are new episodes every single Monday. If you enjoy it, give it a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. I now have T-shirts, and I have some T-shirts that you don't need to be a fan of my podcast to enjoy. Uh, you just need to be a lover of pro wrestling to enjoy. So I've got T-shirts at prowrestlingtees.com slash workofwrestling. That's prowrestlingtees.com slash workofwrestling. you got three choices and I think uh, some of them are pretty fun, uh, and you, you'll enjoy them. Uh, and I recommend getting the extra soft uh, <laughs> material, because <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but uh, what and what was it? What else? Oh yeah, I have a Patreon. I have a new Patreon. Um, that Rob, I think you so graciously subscribed to. Yes, sir. Um, I really appreciated that when I saw that. So if you subscribe to my Patreon at $1 level, you'll get the benefit of knowing that you're supporting me. But you also get a high-res pick of my action figure collection every week. Um, and But then if you subscribe at the $5 a month level, then you'll get two new podcasts of the work of wrestling uh, straight to your Patreon account every single month. So that's all I have going on. And I just want to say thank you again, Rob. I really appreciate you giving me your platform here to speak to your fans. 
Oh, thank you. And so, everybody, uh, thank you for joining us this week. And as always, uh, as I always say, take care of each other and take care of yourselves and talk to you guys next time.